Good morning, everyone. Good to be with you all this morning, and I bring you greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so good to see all of you out here this morning. It's always a joy to gather together as uh, the people of God to, to worship our Lord Jesus Christ together. So I'm glad to be here this morning, and we're continuing in our series on the book of Philippians. Our passage today comes from Philippians chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 5 through 11, if you'd like to follow along. Um, hear with me the word of the Lord. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks once again for the gift of your word. And we pray that you would bless to us this reading of your holy word, and that you would apply it to our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that once again you would use it to form us into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. As we get started this morning, before we really dig into our passage, I'd I'd like to take you back in time, if you don't mind, for just a moment. Uh, I want to take you back in time to the spring of the year 2022. The spring of the year 2022. The 24th of April, to be exact, it was a Sunday morning. It was the week after Easter. Many of you were right here in this room on that morning being introduced to your new pastoral candidate for the first time, the mysterious Pastor Mike, (laughs) whom none of you had met, uh, or very few of you had met up to that point. And Mike preached a sermon that morning, nervously and with great fear and trembling, on Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, talking about what it means that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I say that to you, I wanted to take you back in time because I promise you this is not that same sermon this morning that I'm giving you today. I'm hoping to bring what sometimes pastors call fresh bread to present before you this morning. But obviously some of the same ideas will come up and be repeated if you remember that sermon Good on you, Uh, but you may hear some of the same ideas repeated this morning. But we can take comfort in knowing that repetition is a tried and true way to learn things. Teachers in the congregation this morning, you can back me up on that, okay? So we can uh, repeat this and learn from it again, and also that we will never truly exhaust the idea or the theme that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the more that we acknowledge that and meditate on it and proclaim that truth, the more fruit will be born in our lives from it. 
to the glory of God the Father. So uh, we can come back to this passage again this morning and, and, be, and know that God is going to meet us in this. Uh, it's a passage that is worth returning to time and time again. And I would just put this out there, uh, just a little plug. Uh, If you memorize scripture, if you are someone who likes to memorize scripture, this is a great passage to memorize. Uh, If you're not someone who likes to memorize scripture, then I would suggest maybe starting here. We fill our minds with so many things through the songs that we listen to, the movies that we watch, the books that we read. We would do well to fill our minds with the word of the Lord in the same way. I've often thought that if I had scripture committed to memory and could quote it as readily as I could quote the movies that I watched when I was in high school, then I would be in a much better place in life than I am right now. So, so uh, start with this passage. This is a great passage to commit to memory. Uh, work through it. Say it over and over again until it's just there and you can draw from it whenever you need to. It's that kind of a passage. When we come to this passage this morning, we are coming to the heart of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Everything that he has said so far in this book, everything he's written to them, all of the instructions that he has given them have been building to this point, to this passage that we're looking at this morning. And everything that he says from now on in this book is going to come off of this passage, is going to draw from this passage. It is at the center of everything that Paul wants to say to the Philippians. And even more than that, Though it's not just the heart of Philippians, really what we see in this passage is the heart of all of Paul's theology right here in these few verses. Everything that Paul wants to say to the Christians in the New Testament and all those who will come after us, uh, after them, including us, we can find here in this passage. One commentary I was looking at this week calls it the Mount Everest of Philippian study. That's what this passage represents, the Mount Everest of Philippian study. Another uh, commentary said that it is Paul's master story. That's what we find in these few short verses. And one other commentary said this, it is one of the most exalted, most beloved, most discussed and debated passages in scripture. Here is one of Paul's finest hours that we see in this passage today. What makes it so powerful is that it is the good news spelled out for us right here. This is the gospel in these few short verses. I I like to think of it as the gospel in concentrated form. It's, It's a very powerful but brief statement of what we believe as Christians, what we're called to believe as Christians. And it is all about Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. And at the center of it, is the cross. At the center of this passage is the cross. Paul takes this opportunity in the middle of this letter that he is writing to the Philippians, the church in Philippi, and all of the instructions and the exhortations that he's giving to them to point us to Christ, to point us to Christ. This is where we left off in our sermon last week saying, look to Christ. And on that last slide, we said, look to Christ. And we had a little to be continued at the end because we can't separate what we were talking about last week from what we are going to be talking about this week. They are integrally connected to each other. Everything that we are to believe and the way that we are called to live as Christians are grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ who he is, and what he has done for us. 
all of the things that we worship and praise God for. When you think about how we praise on Sunday mornings, whether it's through prayer or whether it's through the songs that we sing, what we are doing is lifting up who God is and what he has done, his character and his works, his love, his grace, his mercy, the peace that he brings us, his creation, his salvation. This is what we praise God for. And this is what we see in our passage today. And so as we continue to think about our theme for this sermon series, to live as Christ, and consider what that means and what that looks like for us, then we have to look to Jesus Christ himself to get any sort of answer to those questions. How can we know what it means to live as Christ if we don't know Christ himself? And this passage is here for us to do just that, to look to Christ and to consider who he is and what he has done, and to come to know him through this passage, through this word from the Lord, and through him to know the living God. So that's what we're hoping to do this morning, ambitious I know, but one step in the process. And so what I'd like for us to do this morning as we look at this passage, as we look at these verses, is to look at it in three parts. And to see the life of Christ in three parts or three different acts, the way that Paul presents them here. And to see what Paul has to say about Jesus in these three different acts. And this is different than how we might normally consider it. But first we will look at it this way, from before the incarnation. Before the incarnation, that's our first verse there. Uh, And then secondly, Jesus' earthly life, verses 7 and 8. And then part 3 would be after the resurrection, verses 9 through 11. It's sort of a way that Paul has broken things down here. I don't know if he meant to do it this way, but this is how we're going to look at it this morning. So first we'll start with this idea of looking at Jesus' life before the incarnation. And I like this because so often we're inclined to think that Jesus' life begins at Christmas, at the beginning of the Gospels, or maybe with the Annunciation when Mary show, or, uh, Gabriel shows up to Mary and says, you are going to give birth to a child. But that's when we consider Jesus coming on the scene in Scripture, is with the New Testament. And it makes sense that we see it that way. That's when Jesus first shows up as a human when he's born. But when we think about Jesus saying that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, we start to have a sense that his life is much bigger than just the years he was here on the earth. So here we're given a wider lens through which to see Jesus' life. Paul gives us a glimpse of the eternal perspective, that Jesus was there before he was born, that he existed before he was born. And he was and always has been, for all of his existence, in very nature, God. Jesus is in very nature, God. There is a oneness between God the Father and Jesus the Son. There is a unity that they share with each other. And I'll look to the Gospel of John uh, to fill out this idea for us a bit here. And I'm going to be cross-referencing a lot of different scriptures in this sermon. Not all of them made them onto the slides. So if there's anything that you miss and you want me to tell you what it is, just contact me later. I'm happy to point you uh, what I'm drawing from. But we're going to be looking at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, because he fills out this idea that Paul gives us here a little bit better. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. 
And that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's another passage that's worth committing to memory uh, for those of you who are thinking about these things. But what we see here is that John affirms Paul's statement that Jesus was in very nature God. He affirms what Paul's saying here about the unity of the Father and of the Son. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he takes it even further to say he was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In other words, Jesus has been there with the Father from all time, for all eternity. He was begotten, not made. He is not a created being. And not only was he there when the world was created, but he was actively involved in creating the universe. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, when we read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We should understand that not just to mean the Father, but the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all there creating all things together, working together in that way, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it was through him, through the word, through Jesus Christ, that we have also been given light and life. It's hard to overemphasize the significance of what these passages are saying. Who is Jesus? Why is he so important? And the answer that we are given is definitive from the passages that we're looking at. Jesus is equal with God, the living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. They are one in nature. They are one in substance. They are one in being. And they have existed together since the very beginning of time. From all eternity, this loving father and this loving son, together in this loving relationship between the two of them. Jesus says it uh, differently in a couple of other places in the Gospel of John. Those are the verses that we'll, we'll pull up here just in a second. In John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus simply says this, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. And then he says in John 14, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. So when we are dealing with Jesus Christ, then we are also dealing with God. Or I shouldn't say also dealing with God. When we deal with Jesus Christ, we are dealing with God. Starting with Jesus' divine nature is necessary for Paul. It serves a purpose for him because he is showing us Jesus' character and specifically he is showing us Jesus' humility. And so we want to start with just how high and exalted a place Jesus holds over all of creation and all of the universe in order for us to stand just how much he humbled himself. This is the next point that Paul makes. He says, being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So even though Jesus was one with the Father, equal to the God of the universe, with all of the same power and privilege, He didn't use it for his own benefit. He didn't use it for his own benefit. You think about what we see so often when human beings are given power. Think about what happens when human beings are given power. How quickly we use it to enrich ourselves. 
to build ourselves up, to gain more status, more influence. Often we are in the business of seeking power for ourselves and influence for ourselves. Sometimes we say it's because, well, I can do more good. The more power and influence I have, the more good I can do. And there's truth to that. But so often because of our sin, it ends up being about ourselves and building ourselves up. Fame and fortune and power and influence are great temptations for us as human beings. And if we're honest with ourselves, we'll see that that plays itself out in our lives. And yet Jesus did not go for those things. Instead, he made himself nothing. It says he emptied himself. That's how some translations put it. He gave it all up. He left it all behind. Instead of ruling on high forever and ever as he could have done, he made himself a servant. The one who was in very nature God instead took on the very nature of a servant. And we're reminded of the verse in Mark 10, uh, chapter 10, where Jesus says this, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is why Jesus came. And so Jesus allowed himself to be made in human likeness and became a man, a human being. And here's where we move to part two of Jesus' life, act two, as told in this passage, the incarnation, Jesus' human life. And again, we look to uh, the gospel of John chapter one to think about this. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. If any of you are familiar uh, with the translation of scripture called the message, Eugene Peterson translated it. uh, It says that the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. I've always liked that idea. That the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus became a human being in order to come and be with us. Not to remain distant from us, but to come close and live life with us. He moved into our neighborhood. Already we have a sense of Christ's humility. To go from being an infinite being, the creator of the universe, no limits of this physical world restraining him in any way, to go from being God to being A human in any way is already an incredible humbling of oneself. But as we look at Christ's life, what we see is how he just keeps going lower and lower and lower. He doesn't come as a rich and powerful human being. He doesn't come as a prince or a ruler. It says he came as one who served others. He didn't enter the world as a fully formed, strong, athletic, strapping young man but as an infant, as an infant, completely helpless, unable to do anything for himself, unable to speak, unable to feed himself, totally dependent on the help of others to survive. And then to grow up, having to go through all of the challenges and struggles of childhood and of adolescence, I would say to you teenagers out there, please remember that Jesus himself was a teenager at one point. He lived the life of a youth, of an adolescent, of a young person. Not to mention growing up in a tiny and insignificant village uh, in a small province of the Roman Empire. 
When it says that Jesus emptied himself and made himself nothing, he really made himself nothing. And then to go as far down as possible, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. There are several things that are being told to us here, and the first one is this, Jesus is being obedient. Though he is equal to the Father, he willingly submits himself to his Father's will. And part of what we see in that is the inner dynamics of the Trinity working themselves out there. The Father and the Son, they're equal with each other. They're one in nature and substance, and yet the Son willingly submits himself to the will of his heavenly Father to do what the Father would have him do. Again, we see Jesus' obedience, I mean, his humility in this. And so Jesus was sent into the world by his heavenly Father for a purpose, to redeem human beings by offering himself as the perfect sacrifice on our behalf, taking our sin upon himself. It says that he who had no sin became sin for us so that we might have the righteousness of God. And all this Jesus did willingly out of obedience to his heavenly father. And Jesus' obedience is a part of our redemption. And that's important for us to remember. Jesus' obedience is a part of our redemption. Not just through his death on the cross, but also because he kept the law perfectly for us. While we were unable to keep the righteous requirements of the law because of our sin, it was impossible for us to do so, Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf. And so Jesus' obedience is a key piece of his character that matters greatly for us, both in how he lived his life and why he died. And what we're also being told is just how complete Jesus' humiliation was. Not only did Jesus live a human life in a frail body, just like we do, but he also went through death, through the process of death. Jesus' body stopped working, stopped functioning. His heart stopped beating, just like will happen to each one of us one day. And not just any kind of death. Jesus didn't just go through all the way through and then die in his sleep one night, like we all hope will happen to us peacefully. But Jesus went through a particularly humiliating and painful form of capital punishment. It was a a tactic that was used by the Romans to shame the people who were sentenced to it. It was meant to be a spectacle where you would be hung up high on a cross in a public place so people could see you and see your shame and your humiliation. Historians often point to it as one of the worst ways a human being can die. Death on a cross. And we're not going to go into all of the details of what happens with crucifixion this morning, but it's enough for us to know that this was the form of death that Jesus endured. And it was because he was obedient to do it. And through this is our salvation. When we look at these first two acts of Jesus' life together, from his shared nature with God to his death on the cross, we are faced with just how low Jesus was willing to go in order to save us. Just to what extent he humbled himself. He went from the highest of heights to the deepest of depths for our sake. The God of the universe hung on a cross in front of crowds of people, many who, of whom mocked him as he died. And all this he did for us and for our salvation. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says this. It says, we should fix our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, 
and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did Jesus do this for us? Why did he humble himself in this way? It was because of his great love for us and for the joy that brings him, it brings him for us to be saved, for us to be redeemed. As we talk about Philippians and being a book of joy and Paul talks about the joy he takes in that church, it's good for us to be reminded of what is the joy for Jesus. Why was he willing to go to the cross? Because of what it accomplished for us. What happens on the other side of the cross, which is our redemption, our salvation, our forgiveness. This is what brings Jesus great joy. So all of this, in all of this, we see that the one who was equal with God made himself a man, made himself a servant, made himself nothing, and died on the cross for us. This is the gospel that Paul once proclaimed, once for us to know and to understand. But there's one more piece of it, and it's an important one. It's Act 3 in the life of Jesus, as Paul presents it here. And it is the grounding of our present and our future hope. In Hebrews, uh, the verse we just looked at from Hebrews just alluded to it, that Jesus went and sat at the right hand of the throne of God. It's Act 3, after the resurrection. And Paul says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Just like how for many of us we see Jesus' birth at Christmas as the story of the, be the beginning of Jesus' life, often we see Easter or maybe the ascension as sort of being the end of it. Jesus then leaves the scene and the church has to start figuring things out in the book of Acts. But the New Testament is very clear that God the Father has put Jesus, the risen Christ, in an exalted place once again. The trajectory we see of Jesus' life from an eternal perspective is from exalted to cursed to exalted. And from this exalted place, Jesus reigns as Lord over the heavens and over the earth and over all of creation. Jesus hasn't just gone on holiday between the ascension and when he's going to come back. He is actively involved in reigning over the universe at the right hand of the heavenly father. The New Testament tells us that Jesus is praying for us there, that he intercedes for us there, that he is bringing salvation to those who put their faith in him from the right hand of the father. At the end of the book of Matthew, we're told that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. The language that Paul uses here in these last couple verses of our passage today is drawn directly from the book of the prophet Isaiah, where God says of himself this, turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me, every knee will bow, by me, Every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. And all who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. Jesus has been put in a place of glory and honor and power and authority that belongs to God alone. It's a place where he has become the one to receive our worship because he is worthy of it. And not just ours alone, but the worship of everything and everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth. 
And it's good for us to be reminded of this, that Jesus now reigns as Lord and will forever reign as Lord on high. This is a part of the good news. This is a part of the gospel, that Jesus reigns on high because it gives us hope both for this life and for the next. Our present and our future hope rest on the fact that Jesus reigns as Lord. It can, it can strengthen and encourage our faith now in this life because living out our faith in this world, while it can often be the source of much joy and hope and peace and fulfillment, it can also be really hard sometimes. Living out our faith in this world can be really hard sometimes. In fact, the scriptures promise us that it's going to be hard sometimes. We've seen that already in the book of Philippians where Paul keeps telling the Philippians, you are going to suffer for Christ. There is going to be suffering that comes from following him. And this is a part of what it means uh, to live our lives in Christ. There will be trials, there will be temptations, there will be opposition to following Christ. This is just part of the deal. And if you've been a Christian for very long, you know that this is true because you've experienced it for yourself. But when we look to Christ and we remember that he is risen and ascended and reigning as Lord over all, it reminds us that the victory has been won. The victory has been won once and for all. It reminds us that no matter who is president or prime minister or, or whoever is king or premier or ruler in whatever country you are a citizen of or whatever country you live in, that Jesus Christ is Lord over all of them. Jesus Christ is Lord over all of them. And whatever personality or social group or, or philosophy or political party would claim your loyalty Jesus Christ is Lord over all of them as well. Jesus Christ is Lord over all of them. And the promise for us is that if we put our trust in Jesus in this life, then we will not be put to shame. We will not be put to shame if we put our trust in Jesus in this life. We can trust Jesus' words in John 16 when he says this, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Believing that Jesus reigns gives us hope for this life. And it's also the source of our eternal hope. Because when we put our faith in him, then our lives belong to the one who is the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who conquered sin and even death itself. And because he lives and reigns on high, and because we belong to him, then death does not have the final say over us either, as we talked about a few weeks ago. As we follow Christ down into death, we will also be raised to new eternal life in him. All that to say, because Christ reigns as Lord at the right hand of the Father, we have hope in this life, but also for the age to come. So in these few short verses that we looked at this morning, Paul narrates the gospel for us on a cosmic scale. Jesus Christ who is one with the heavenly Father, who shares a nature with him, who has been there with the Father for all of eternity, humbled himself and went as low as he could possibly go, becoming a human being and even going to a shameful death on a cross, all to redeem us from our sin. And now the heavenly Father has returned him to his exalted place at his own right hand, giving him the name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus we might bow and worship and acknowledge him as Lord. Amen. We could stop here, but we're not going to. We probably should. 
but there's a little more to say because Paul was writing all of this to the Philippians for a purpose, to point them to Jesus Christ so that the life of Christ might form and shape their lives with each other. And when we look back to the beginning of our passage today, when we look back to verse five, we see that it says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We are to think like Christ. We are to have the same attitude as Jesus Christ. That's the way other translations put it. This passage comes on the heels of Paul's plea to be united as God's people for the sake of the gospel and for us to humble ourselves with each other for the sake of that unity. And then Paul points to the great humility of Christ our Lord. And says, here is your example. Here is your pattern. If you want to know what it means to humble yourself with each other, well, look to Christ and see what he did for you. And just how humble he was. To live is Christ. To live is Christ. That's our theme for this series. Uh, I don't know if many of you are familiar with a, a, an organization called The Bible Project. It's a, it's a great teaching ministry that's online to help people understand Scripture better. They have videos and blogs and, and podcasts, and if you haven't looked to them yet, it's worth checking out. And they have a video for each book of the Bible that gives a little sort of synopsis of it. And if you watch the video about Philippians, there's a great quote there about what it means to live as Christ. And it says this, uh, The Bible Project says this, we are to see our own story as a lived expression of Christ's story. That's what it means to live is Christ, that we are to see our own story as a lived expression of Christ's story. And that story is given us here in Philippians chapter 2. And again, we see the cross at the very center of it all. This is where we see who Christ truly is on the cross, where we see his love and grace on full display there on the cross. And so we too, as followers of Christ, are called to live our lives shaped by the cross with great humility. Paul says, look to Christ, put your faith and hope in him and live out of that faith, always trusting in his lordship over all things to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we know that you alone are worthy of our worship. You alone are worthy of our praise. Lord, we desire to live our lives to your glory, that every part of our lives would be an act of worship before you. Lord, we pray that you would help us live into this life of Christ, that our stories would truly be a uh, and reacting or a reenactment of his story, a lived uh, example of Jesus Christ. Lord, may our lives be shaped by his cross. Help us to humble ourselves before one another and before you. And we pray that all of this would be to your glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.